Let me ask you a question. When you think about faith, when you think about your faith in Christ or if you're searching and pursuing faith, um, what might be the thing that helps you anchor your faith? We know it's, we talk about obviously that it's God. The scriptures lead us as Jesus being the anchor of our faith. But think about faith for a moment. Um, As we're hearing uh, Andy, Terry, and uh, Karin share I think we wrestle daily with how we live out our faith, uh, how we rest in our faith, um, what is the trajectory of our faith, what, you know, what happens you know, in a sense when we think about does God have us in his hands, is he holding us, uh, we've been thinking about jobs and you know, job losses and things along those lines, and when we think about that, it often makes us wonder um, you know, what's the encouragement with our faith in just the trajectory, day-to-day living with our lives? And Louise had read earlier from Hebrews 11, and I want to jump off from that, that theme and um, from that, uh, that scripture. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to it. It's an amazing text, and as, as we read through Hebrews 11, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, I love how it starts off as, as Louise read it. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for. An assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. It's on the screen too if you don't have your Bibles. It will be. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. So that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Just think about the the start of that. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for. And assurance about what we do not see. I love that, that phrase, that line. Um, when, as, we, as we've been walking through Hebrews, we come to chapter 11, which is known as the chapter of the heroes of faith. Louise read a few of examples of that during worship. Um, these heroes of faith that are described here later on in this chapter. And what the author's getting to is the key to what these Christ followers need as this letter would have been read in a first century home church or larger environment, what the, the key to what every believer needs to follow Jesus faithfully is this strong sense of what faith is. What faith is. And so the author brings about this thought. And just earlier in the chapter earlier, the author quotes Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 3, which says, the righteous shall live by faith. At the end of chapter 10, the author talks about faith like if you can be part of a tribe of faith. uh, The author says something like, we do not belong to those who shrink back, but to those who have faith. It sounds like he's talking to a sports team. We don't belong to the people who lose. We belong to the people who win. It kind of feels like that. But really what the author is saying, we don't belong to the group of people that shrink back, but we belong to a group of people, to a community who have faith and are saved. And verse 1 and 2 in chapter 11 just continues this theme as the author wants to tell us what faith is. That they need faith to help them get through struggles, obstacles, um, disappointments, persecution, but also successes, decisions, uh, how to filter through how to live out their lives as followers of Jesus, and also to look ahead to a greater purpose and a future purpose. They need faith. I mean, I think most people, they might not describe faith as a faith in God, but they often use the word that I need faith to get me through this storm or through this struggle or through this bad thing that happened at school, or I need, to, I need faith to help me start on this journey. 
Even success, someone hits the top of success and often they're like, is there anything else? I need faith to figure out what is life really all about if I've hit this. Remember, um, Bill Hybels shares a story of his dad handing him just a stack of tickets, airplane tickets around the world. And at the age of 18, so his dad was wealthy and his dad handed him a stack of airplane tickets and says, I want you to see the world. And one day he's in Rio and he's sitting on the beach and he's listening to, overhearing uh, a see, uh, uh, an older couple, retired couple, and this couple is just sitting there basking in the scenery and saying, oh man, it's so amazing, we finally arrived. And Hybels is 18 years old, and he's listening to, overhearing people that are 40, 50 years older than him, and says, oh my goodness, I'm sitting here too, but I got my whole life ahead of me. Does this mean I've arrived? What's next? And it made him think, like, God, is there more? And he needed faith to help him understand what God really had in store for him. Later on, God called him into a specific kind of ministry and used him in different ways. But it was that, that moment of saying, even at the, the top of something, you ask the question. And the author helps us understand what faith is. The author doesn't tell us what faith isn't, but you can assume that as we read through chapter 11, faith isn't just wishful thinking. Faith isn't just some materialistic dream for more things or more stuff or more wealth. Faith isn't believing that you're the solution to all the problems around you. Faith is not that necessarily. Faith is not just positive thinking. The author brings us these two words. Faith is assurance. I'm going to use another vision, assurance and conviction. Faith is assurance in what you hope for. The the NIV uses the word confidence, but the word is assurance. And the word assurance, the root word of assurance is the word belief. In fact, the word amen, when someone says amen at the end of a prayer, or amen in affirmation towards something, that's where we get that word from. The same word that assurance comes from is the word amen. Because when you say amen, you're saying, yes, God, I affirm what you're doing. I'm, I'm sure that you're going to move in this way. I'm sure that I'm in your hands, or I'm sure that I can trust you. And so the sense of faith is assurance, affirmation, belief, in the source of your hope, that the source of your hope is true and faithful. That's God. And it points us to God. That our assurance is not in ourselves. Our assurance gives us assurance in the hope that he is faithful. Convinced that God is faithful to his promise. And the author goes on and says, faith is, and the NIV says is the word assurance, but the actual word there is the word conviction. That faith is conviction in what you do not see yet. That you're convinced in something you don't see. Could be God's future, God's promise, God himself. A bride says yes to a life she doesn't really know for certain. When she, when she sees a ring, will you marry me? She says, I do, with conviction in something she doesn't see yet, right? Um. Someone signs a contract for a car that's still not on the lot and believes that the the dealer is going to actually provide that car in a month or so when they need it. Maybe you've put a deposit on a on a rental condo somewhere and you, you haven't even seen it, but you're like, I'm gonna, I'm convinced that when I show up, wherever I'm going, like I'm gonna, it's gonna work. And the author says, faith is assurance of what you hope for and conviction of what you do not see. 
it's greater than anything I just mentioned. It's really the heartfelt promise of God. And I, I wrote this phrase to help us understand this, that faith in God comes up next. Faith in God is having faith in a better future promised by God. Faith in God is having faith in a better future promised by God. See, the author in Hebrews 11 isn't just speaking about generic faith, but actually in something God has promised us. And it's a future with him. My dad, um, about eight or ten years before he passed away, was part of a church in Toronto. And this church met uh, for years and years and years in an old United Church, wonderful building. Um, You can find it now on the internet, and they've become beautiful condos. But I didn't say it for any other reason except to say that they felt, this church felt that they needed to move out of that downtown part of the city and go up to another part of the city called Woodbridge. And so this church rallied around this vision about what could be in the future. And they bought land and um, they ended up starting to build. And my dad got sick with cancer the year that the church was being built. And the last time he saw the building, it was a concrete shell, and we rolled him in with a wheelchair. And then he passed away in June that year, and the church was only finished in the fall. And he he worked tirelessly for that, and the church together, leaders and people gave and worked towards that. But I remember one person from the church told us, He said, you know what, Um, even though your dad didn't physically see this church, he, he saw it. He saw it in his heart. He saw it in his mind. He saw it in the vision that God gave him. He saw, in a sense, the unseen that didn't arrive yet. And today, there's this church that meets at Highway 7 and Western Road in Woodbridge. And together, as a church community, they saw something that wasn't there yet. They had faith in a future In this specific process. See, godly faith is convinced when God leads you, when God guides you, when God uh, leads you to trust in Jesus, and when God gives you a promise, not just in this life, but for eternity, that there's a future promise coming, even though it's unseen, convinced of what's unseen, assurance of what's hoped for. Godly faith is convinced of spiritual realities that are often unseen. One writer says this, it's on the screen, that faith is the organ of spiritual perception. Faith is the organ of spiritual perception. If you are a person of faith, if you're a follower of Christ, if God's spirit has indwelt you, because God's spirit indwells us, lives within us as we put our trust in Jesus, we develop this spiritual, this organ of spiritual perception called faith. In a sense, it's seeing the unseen reality. It doesn't mean that we go around seeing things that aren't there, but that we trust that God is at work behind the scenes, that he's doing things. There are some people who showed up here this morning that I believe with, without a shadow of a doubt, God was working behind the scenes. And when I saw them show up today, I thought, oh my goodness, God was doing something in a spiritual reality that I had no clue of. And they showed up today. God's been working in their hearts Faith is the organ of spiritual perception. And the author does something pretty amazing. He, he, he or she pulls open kind of like the storybook of Israel. So verse 1 and 2 and 3 talk about faith and being assurance and conviction. But then the author starts to tell all these stories. And Louise read some of them. And these stories going back to creation 
of, of how people who lived by faith saw God work, that by faith they did certain things, they acted out in certain ways. And, and the author pulls out this history book, and you can tell that the author is so well-versed in Israel's history and in the story of the scriptures, this sweeping summary of Israel's most faith-filled heroes, and sharing stories from Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Moses and Sarah and David, and then on to Samson and Gideon and other people, and then unmentioned people, but still part of their stories. In a sense, they start, he, he starts to share these stories, these faith stories, to connect these readers to their past, saying, you have come into faith today, but I want you to know that you've been part of a faith tradition for centuries. And here's the storybook. Here's, here's the history book. That God's always been at work through people who put their faith in him. And sometimes you need to be reminded of that. I saw this in the most silly way this week. Um, I watched an episode of Fuller House, the new Full House. Um, and so the, the, the scenario there, I was watching with my daughter, and the scenario there is that um, the oldest daughter of this family, DJ, her husband passed away a couple of years ago. And so her sister and her best friend come in and move in with her. And there's an episode where her, her two older boys are struggling. And the younger boy, the middle boy, says, uh, he's, been, he's trying so hard to get a, to get a, a fire truck ride, to a, like a, a ride on a fire truck to a, a, a party for his friends. Because his dad was a firefighter, and his dad died as a firefighter. And he thought, oh, maybe I can go back to the house, you know, the firehouse where my dad was, and and it wasn't working, and he was so discouraged, and he just, in a moment of despair, tells his mom, you know, it's not fair. I feel like I'm forgetting my dad. I feel like I'm forgetting dad. I, I can't remember him so much. And so the mom pulls these two boys and puts them in front of the mirror and says, look, look in the mirror. And she takes the younger one, Max, and says, you have your dad's cheeks. And she, she ruffles the, the older one's son and says, you have your dad's hair. And she says, you know what we're going to do? Tomorrow we're going to make it a dad day. We're going to pull out videos of dad and pictures of dad, and we're going to talk about dad, and we're going to have dad's favorite meal. And, and we're going to just remember dad. And what she was trying to do in this moment, I know it's a fictional story, but she was trying to root them in something they already knew of, something that was very real for them, but they were forgetting. And I think in that sense, the author is doing that with these readers. The author is bringing them back and saying, let let me open this history book for you of real life examples of people who lived by faith. And you're part of that tradition. They believed by faith. And so Hebrews shows these believers that their faith-connected ancestors had this faith in God, in God's promised future, which included Jesus, whom they had just put their trust in. But they were struggling. They were doubting. And so by faith, each person in history, in this history book, acted with assurance of what was hoped for and conviction of what wasn't seen. And so Abel sacrificially gave his first fruits of his income literally tithed to the Lord when tithing or giving wasn't even a thing. But in faith, he gave. Enoch pleased God, and Moses sacrificed his relationship with Egypt and the luxury he had in that empire to save his people, Israel. Abraham left his home and went to another place. Sarah, his wife, believed that she would give birth to a child that God promised she would have, even in her old age of 99. Rahab was someone who welcomed uh, some of the spies of Israel and into Canaan and welcomed them into their home by faith. She wouldn't have done that normally, but she welcomed them in by faith. Many suffered and risked and moved and gave and led and died all by faith. And here's verse 13. 13 says this. 
All these people were still living by faith when they died. All these people were living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. They lived their life by faith, even though what they were hoping for, they had assurance of it, and what they were convinced of, even though it was unseen, didn't come in their lifetime. That kind of reminds me of my dad sitting there in a wheelchair in a concrete shell of a building. He never saw it. He died believing that this was God's purpose, God's plan. These, these people that Hebrews refers to are people of faith and hope and assurance and conviction. And for each of them, the Messiah never showed up in their lifetime, but the Messiah did show up. Jesus did show up. Jesus came. God sent his son. He died on a cross. He rose from the grave. He sent his spirit. Jesus did show up. The Messiah did show up. And the readers of this letter are even the fulfillment of the people in the past, their faith. What Abraham believed and Moses believed and David believed and their faith into God's promised future, the people who are reading this letter, they're part of that fulfillment. The author is saying, don't you see that, that how you've come to understand who Jesus is, what Jesus has done for you and for all of us, this is a fulfillment of what they believed for and hoped for? And here, here's the cool thing. Jesus is the climax of the story, but he's not the finale. The finale in Hebrews 11 points to a further future. Faith in God is having faith in a better future promised by God. Listen to some of these verses. Uh, Verse 10 says this. Verse 10 said, Abraham was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Abraham never arrived to that city. He was looking forward to a city, to a city that was promised by God. It was this, God promised Abraham land, and Israel, in their story, eventually did end up on land. But that land wasn't the full picture. That land wasn't even the full part of the story. That was only a shadow of what was to come, because God was promising an even greater story, an even greater promise that wasn't just about a piece of property. It was about a future kingdom that they would receive and a future eternity that they would share. Listen to verse 16. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. God prepared a city for them. That the people in the past believed this as they were moving forward. Here's verse 40. These were all commended for their faith, yet not one of them received what had been promised since God planned something greater or better There's that word, for us, so that only together with us they would be made perfect. In other words, their faith, their lives, Jesus comes as the climax of the story, and everyone after Jesus, as they put their trust in him, together all of us will receive something better. That's his promised future. And it's a promised city. Chapter 13, verse 14 says this. Uh, I got it here. Unless you got it there, there it is. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. That's God's promised future. That's God's promised for us into eternity, a heavenly city, a city God's preparing, a new creation that even the ancients had faith for what was to come. And the writer to the Hebrews is saying, this promise is for you too. They, be- they died believing it, 
Jesus has come showing you he's, he's fulfilling it, and you are starting to see glimpses of it. One day, we will see God in all his glory bring this all about in eternity. That, that's, a, that's a story of God in a nutshell, from creation to new creation, from the garden to the city in Revelation. In creation, we see God starting the story in a garden. We see the climax of Jesus, but the end of the story is in the city. The new Jerusalem coming down, promised in Revelation chapter 22. And this promise is for every single one of us, something better for us. Something better for us that only together, all of us, past, present, and future in Christ, will receive. That's the promise. Now, some people say, man, is this relevant for us, for our modern world, to believe in a promised future like this? I mean, I know if you're a person of faith, if you're following Jesus, you you believe that. Some of you might be here searching and saying, is that really a true promise? Will that really happen? Reminds me of something Einstein said. Einstein says this. He said, the modern age has perfect means, but confused ends. The modern age has perfect means, but confused ends. In other words, they have, modern society has messed up or is confused what the end goals are what the end of life are. We, we truly don't know often. People truly don't know what they're hoping for. Truly don't know what future they're meant to hope for. So people live their lives without true hope. But here, the author's trying to say, no, no, there's something greater here. Why? Because in our culture, we've confused the ends. We've, we've misunderstood the ends. We haven't realized that God can actually clarify our hope and put assurance in our heart through faith of that hope and conviction of what is not seen. N.T. Wright sums it up this way, that Hebrews is describing a faith in God that looks to the future and knows that God has planned something better than anything we could accomplish ourselves. I love that. That our faith in God is a faith that looks to the future and knows that God has planned something better than anything we could accomplish ourselves. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up as we come to a close. You know what this means for us? Just, Just three words I want to leave with you that came to mind as I was thinking about this. The first word is perspective. This faith that brings assurance of what we hope for, conviction of what's unseen, gives us perspective. I was listening to, to, the, you know, to the team, to the talk here and share, and really, they have a perspective of their work, of God's provision, that is probably different than some of their other coworkers because of their faith. When we discover that our faith gives us true hope, in what we hope for, um, true conviction and assurance, then we gain perspective. Philip Yancey said this. He said, I've undergone two conversions in my life. First, from natural world to discover the supernatural, and later to rediscover the natural world from a new viewpoint. Once we come into faith, we discover, oh my goodness, there's there's another world out there. It's not just everything we see. God is at work. But once we discover that, we rediscover our world because now we start to see our world through God's eyes and we start to see our everyday life through his promises. So we gain perspective that things matter. Everyday things matter. Yancey goes on to say, the ultimate destiny of the world and ourselves is being played out right now. Everything matters in ways one cannot see. In other words, your actions, my actions, your sacrifice, your generosity, your, your discipline, your love, your risk, your service, they all matter. Not because they're so good and they make us good with God. It's because through that, God points to his future. 
God gives a glimpse to people of what he's promising them through your life, through my life. C.S. Lewis said, aim at heaven and get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. Because if you just focus on the here and now, on only what you see, you often even miss the here and now. But get a perspective through faith in Christ and you get the whole perspective. You see how God will use you. And that leads to purpose. How can you live by faith? As you live by faith, you point people to God's promise. That's your purpose. That's my purpose. Just like Moses and Abraham and others were this signpost of God's future. You're doing that every single day. I'm doing that every single day as we live in faith or if we live in faith. And the last piece is perseverance. When we have assurance and conviction, I don't know, you've, I'm sure you've felt that. When you have assurance and conviction, your, your perseverance is different. You actually have perseverance. I, I, I can't imagine without, a, I can't imagine going back to my dad's story. Um, I'm sure he struggled and had disappointments and, and wrestled with, why am I in a wheelchair dying of cancer in this concrete shell? Why couldn't I see the rest of this? But I knew my dad well enough to know without a shadow of a doubt that his assurance and his conviction helped him persevere through right until death. I think our assurance, our conviction that comes by faith gives us perseverance. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says this about all the people he mentioned. He says the world was not worthy of them. The world was not worthy of them. The world was not worthy of them. They were not heroes of faith because they lived a perfect life or a wealthy life or a successful life or a fulfilling life. It's because they persevered and died in faith. That faith was vindicated when Jesus died and rose from the grave. That faith was vindicated, will be vindicated in all his fullness in the new creation. And that helps us persevere. I don't know about you, but I want to be part of that crew, that tribe. Not for some great name or anything, but to know that in faith there's assurance and conviction and that in a sense, I want to be part of that tribe of people where Hebrews says the world was not worthy of them. So how do you respond to that? I invite you to respond in faith today. To put your trust in Christ. We sang earlier and the team is going to help us finish with this song. Give me faith. Give me faith. And maybe, you know, many of you here have faith in Christ. But maybe reading through this chapter and reading through this sense of assurance and conviction, maybe part of your prayer is, Lord, I have faith in you, but I want you to help me see the fullness of what that faith means in my everyday life. Maybe you're here and you don't have that faith. And you're thinking, wow, I wish I could live with perspective, with purpose, with perseverance. And that starts by putting your trust in Jesus. Later on in chapter 12, we'll read it next week, says Jesus is the author or the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. The pioneer and perfecter of our faith to fix our eyes on him. And so if you're new and you're just searching and you've been journeying and saying, I want that, I want that, you need to fix your eyes on Christ. Trust Christ. Give your life to Christ. Start a journey following Jesus. I'm going to ask you to stand as we take just a couple of moments reflecting on this. And if if that's you today, as we sing these words, give me faith, and you pray, you use those words as a prayer, God, give me faith in Jesus. I want to put my faith, my trust in Jesus. I want to repent and turn 
from my sins, turn from a life that is all dependent on me and turn to a life of following you. When we say Jesus is Lord, when we say that simple phrase, Jesus is Lord, and we say it from a place of faith, of assurance, of conviction, we are saying, Jesus, I trust everything you say. I trust your invitation to follow you. I trust that your ways are better. I trust that your future is promised. I trust in the process of confession and repentance and coming to you and receiving forgiveness. So if you say those words, if you've said those words right in these last few moments, give me faith to trust in what you say. If you've said that for the first time today, then you've begun a relationship with Jesus. And he wants to lead you and guide you. We want to help you grow in that way. Father, as we just come to the end of this moment, we ask you, Lord, God, we ask you that you would Help us discover the power of faith placed in you. Help us to discover the assurance that Hebrews speaks about, the assurance of what is hoped for, the conviction of what is unseen. Lord, increase the discovery of the power and beauty of faith in you as we've put our trust in you. God, for some who have maybe said this for the first time today, may they know deep in their hearts by the affirmation of your spirit that you love them, that you've responded to their call to put their faith in you. May we be a community that helps one another grow in this walk of following Jesus. And we thank you, God, for your promised future. We thank you for this city in the future, this eternity your fullness of your kingdom and new creation. God, may we live today and tomorrow and ongoing with perspective, with purpose, with perseverance. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.